Good morning. Today's reading is from Philippians 2, verses 3 through 9. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. All right, you guys can grab a seat. So, hey, we are in week two of a series we're calling Everyday Christmas, and I want to walk through why we're calling this series that. So we're going to be actually looking at the rhythms that operate within the Christmas story. You know, Pastor Daniel talked about rhythms that we want to be true of every follower of Christ here. And so we're actually looking at some of these rhythms right out of uh, the Christmas story. And these aren't rhythms that we just do um, here, but these are also, or, or during the Christmas season, these are rhythms that we should be engaged in every single day. Now, the premise of today is very, very simple. Are you ready? If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a servant of Christ. And uh, as servants of Christ, each of us is called to serve other people. In other words, every single day, followers of Jesus should be looking for opportunities to serve other people. Not just once in a while, not just when you feel like it, not just when you have some leftover time or energy, but every single day. Now, to help us with this, I wanted an image that you would never forget that would just be burned into your minds. And this is actually the best one that I could think of. And it's actually a couple of chickens. Now, I know that when you think about the Christmas story, chickens aren't the first thing that comes to mind, right? So to help, I actually decorated their cage so that um, you'll think a little more Christmas as we talk about these guys. Now, the reality is for most of us, uh, we would rather meet these guys at the dinner table, right? We'd rather draw nourishment from them on our dinner table than any kind of spiritual uh, nourishment. And I get that, but what if, and what if these guys can actually provide us with a powerful illustration of how not to behave as followers of Jesus. Now, I actually got these chickens from a, a, a member of our congregation. Their names are Spirit and Margaret, and I believe they may actually be Christian chickens, and stay with me for just a minute, because their owner actually told me, and I'm not making this up, that she pipes Christian music all day long into the chicken coop. So these chickens actually listen to Christian music every single day. And I don't want to point out their owner specifically, but these chickens, their last names are Roberts, and their owner's name is Susan. So you could probably piece together 
whose chickens they are. And here's why we're talking about chickens today. Take 10 chickens, any 10. Put them in a pen together, spread around a little chicken feed, and in a matter of minutes, those chickens will have established something called a pecking order. And so, if you're high up on the pecking order, things like food and water and space, they're easy to come by. You get to peck any other chicken and nothing bad is going to happen to you. But if you're on the bottom of the pecking order, then you get last dibs on things like food and water and space. And the chickens that are higher on the pecking order, they would never ever consider serving the chickens below them. Their only interest is for themselves. And this pecking order is so rigid that chickens can actually be killed by other chickens and so for people who raise chickens that's just not good business right so there are actually products out there there's one product that you can actually take and you can spray on the chickens and it makes them smell bad to other chickens and so the hope was well maybe they won't peck each other and uh, but even that does not stop the pecking that product's actually called peck no more i'm not making that up that's an actual product you can buy another guy trying to get his arms around this pecking order problem uh, about 45 years ago invented tiny little contact lenses to go over these tiny little chickens eyes and the idea was it blurred their vision and so if they couldn't see each other maybe they wouldn't peck one another well that actually worked except the chickens who wore them all went blind all their eyes got infected and so that wasn't exactly a great solution now I suppose you could threaten the chickens you could say hey look up there at that screen chickens and if you don't behave that's what's headed for you you guys see that you guys see that don't you be pecking on each other because that's where you're headed if you do but that's not going to be effective right you can't reason you can't reason with chickens so here's why I bring this up I bring this up and you're going to probably still hear them anyway, but um, I bring all this up because pecking orders aren't just a problem with chickens. See, human beings have pecking orders too. You know, there are all kinds of people in the world, aren't there? I mean, there are morning people and there are night people, and we call them married because that's what they usually do. There are people that like cats, the Bible calls them wicked. There are people that like dogs, the Bible calls them righteous, right? All kinds of people. There are country music people, and then there are normal people, right? We all get this. I know, I know. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, stay with me, there's one interest that we all share. You want to know what it is? It's self-interest. It's self-interest. And what makes the, Christian, the Christmas story so remarkable is that you hardly see any self-interest in the Christmas story. Each of the characters, each of the people in that story are willing to set aside their self-interest in the interest of telling a bigger and a more beautiful and a better story. And make no mistake, friends, the Christmas story, before it is anything else, is a story of service. 
The angels are there to serve. Mary responds as a servant. She actually calls herself the Lord's, not just a servant, a bond servant. That's even lower than a servant. The wise men came to serve. And Jesus would one day grow up and say that that was the reason for his coming as well. And we're going to come back to that. Now, often when we talk about Christmas, we talk about the what. What happened? Well, you know, Jesus was born in a manger. But we rarely talk about the why. Why did Jesus come? Uh, what was the purpose for his coming? And fortunately, Jesus didn't leave us in the dark on that. He would grow up. And years later, he told us exactly why he chose to be born in a manger. And here's what he said. Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, this term Son of Man was Jesus' favorite term to refer to himself. He actually borrowed the reference from the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. That, was a, that phrase was a phrase that was used to refer to the coming Messiah. And so Jesus embraced that phrase for himself. And when he took the time to tell us why he came, he pointed us to servanthood. He came not to grab the spotlight, not to take the center ring, not to attract attention, not to become famous or powerful. He didn't come to be served. I mean, he could have. He was God. If anybody deserved to be served, it was him. But instead, he said, I didn't come for that. I came instead to serve. In fact, whenever his disciples, this is so fascinating to me, whenever one of his disciples would ask him how how to become great in the kingdom of God. Every single time, do you know what he told him? He said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you've got to be the servant of everybody else, right? You become great in the kingdom by serving. And notice, he didn't chastise them because they wanted to be great. He didn't say, well, you shouldn't want to be great. No, he said, look, if you want to be great, then learn how to serve other people. Greatness comes through service, greatness comes through service in fact the apostle paul when he said that someone was going to be commended at the very end of their life for a life well lived as a follower of jesus here's what he said they would hear well done good and faithful what there's that word again servant Listen, service is at the epicenter of what it means to live the Christian life. It just is. It's not optional. See, you don't get a choice as to what, if you're a follower of Jesus, he has commanded us to serve. So if you don't see yourself as an everyday servant of others, friends, that's a problem. That's a problem. So listen, if you're a parent here this morning, one of your assignments is to raise children who see themselves as servants of Christ. It is vital that you teach and model for them what everyday service to Christ looks like. Now, a few weeks ago, I was having breakfast with one of my friends, a guy I'm in a discipling relationship with and he starts telling me about um, this really cool 
thing that they've been doing at Christmas time uh, for years and years, well, not that many years because their kids are still real little, but he, he said it's been really amazing. And so in the first service, I had them come up and share. Their names are Ben and Tierra Purvis, but they couldn't stay. They had a commitment. So we actually recorded their testimony from the 9 a.m. service. And so I want to invite you to check out your screen. We, we appreciate, we're honored to have the opportunity to share about service today because you know, we've heard Pastor Brad speak for, for years about giving is through your time, your talents, and your treasures. And for Tierra and I, we've always felt that time is our most valuable resource because we can always get more treasures and your talents don't go away just because you use it. But every minute that you spend serving others, is a minute you can't get back for yourself. And so we've thought about that a lot and, and we've really tried to find ways to, to serve through the community, to use our time wisely and in a way that would be honoring to God. And when we think about service, you know, I think a lot about 2 Corinthians 9, 7, you know, each man should give according to his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. And, and so when we find those opportunities, we always try to sit in prayer a little bit and make sure you know, we're giving our full effort, our full attention and doing it for the right reasons to, to serve. And I actually really appreciate the timing to do this because this series is called Everyday Christmas. And I know we talk a lot about service during the holiday season and that's kind of what share, uh, Tierra is gonna share here in a, a second. But I think for any of my soccer players who are listening this morning, you'll understand or they'll resonate that service to us is not something that's done just during the month of December. It's something we try to do throughout the year, whether we're in season or out of season. We always try to find different pockets of our community that, that we can serve and bless. And then as Tierra and I were finding or starting our family, we knew service was going to be something that was part of the fabric of our our family dynamic and so she did a lot of research and, and found a I think a very cool way to find uh, an opportunity to build those good habits in our kids as well yeah and so as Tierra is talking about this if we could put the QR code uh, so what you're gonna be talking about is something called the giving manger right yes yeah so tell us about that yeah but first I wanted to go into Proverbs 22 6 it says to direct your children in the way that they should go and when they get older they shouldn't leave it so when Ben and I first started talking about starting a family we knew the most important thing for us as parents was to create disciples and that means serving others and even though they are three and four, it's been such a cool thing to witness it in their hearts as they develop. Um, we started when they were babies, we would just read the Bible with them every night and pray for somebody different each night. And that has transpired to now. Um, they, when they hear about a friend who gets sick, they wanna send them a video message or make them a card. When they hear of somebody struggling or even just because they want to make cookies or take them dinner. And when we're in the car, when we hear sirens of first responders, they're always like, mommy, mommy, we need to pray. We need to pray for them. So we immediately start praying for them. So it's been really cool to watch their hearts develop. And it's actually been humbling to me as their mother because oftentimes they're reminding me to think about others, to pray for others and to serve others. And um, one of the ways that we do that the Christmas season is called the giving manger. 
The giving manger is a little wooden manger that you get and you get some straw to go with it. And for each act of kindness or act of service that you do in the month of December, you put a piece of straw in that manger. And the idea is to make the bed as comfy as possible for baby Jesus to go in on Christmas morning. It's truly just a beautiful, beautiful way for kids to, the kids to think outside themselves in a season where it's so easy to think about what's in it for me. And Lydia wanted to share one of her things that she likes about the giving manger. She said that she loves the giving manger because she likes putting straw in the manger. Do you want to say why? Because I love to help my friends and my family. She likes to serve her friends and her family. Listen, just, yeah, you can, you can applaud that. Listen, I... I get her reaction. It is scary up here. I'm just saying, I get why she's a little shy about speaking into the microphone. Now, uh, listen, here's a cool thing. Um, we're actually going to give you, um, so this is actually a, a QR code uh, that you can scan to go right to the link if this is something, if you have uh, uh, small children at home or are going to be having small children at home, you can actually scan this, go online, and actually buy uh, that thing. But here's something cool we're doing. If you're like, well, you know what, I, I'm not sure right now I can afford to do that. I, you know, it's just an extra expense, and we're just not up for that right now. Well, actually, in our children's ministry this morning, we're actually making little um, paper mangers, and we're going to give you some yarn, and so you can actually get a head start on this. You can go home with your kids and start having them do acts of kindness or acts of service for other people, and then every time they do, they can come and they can put a little piece of yarn you know, in this manger for the baby Jesus, and it's not going to cost you a nickel. Um, so, yeah, I just think that's a cool thing. I think it's really cool when we can work in synergy with, you know, our children's ministry and better serve families. I mean, we say all the time, right, we want to be partners with you in the raising of your children, and we really mean that. All right, now we're going to meditate. Uh, we're going to move to, so Jesus said, look, I didn't come to be served. I came uh, to serve, and then Paul is going to tell us what Jesus' mindset was in that. He's going to tell us that in the passage that Melissa just read, but we're going to break it down and walk through it. Here's what he said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Here's what he's saying. He's saying there are two ways that you can live your life. You can live a life of selfishness. You can live selfishly, or you can live to serve. You can live pridefully, or you can live humbly. And the first way that he talks about it, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, selfish ambition, let me tell you what that is. That is the, the motivation that all of us have to elevate or exalt ourselves usually at the expense of someone else. In fact, the King James Version actually translate, translates this phrase as the word strife. 
or arguing. And so the idea is you're, you're so motivated to exalt yourself that you're willing to argue with somebody else so that you get your way, or you're willing to put down someone else to make yourself look better. It actually creates strife and arguments. That's uh, selfish ambition. And then there's vain conceit. And what that is, is that's just a way of saying uh, empty pride. Pride. Because here's the thing about pride. Pride only thinks about itself. It will never, pride will never stoop to serve someone else, but will instead dwell on its own need to be served. And so here's what I'm telling you. A prideful person is much more concerned about their own comfort than making anyone else comfortable. Uh, and so uh, they will actually, that, that desire for their own comfort ahead of the comfort for others will actually keep them from serving. And so they'll say things like this. Maybe you've heard some of these. Probably you've never said them because we're like super spiritual here in this room, but you've probably heard other people say this. Here's one. Sunday is the only day I have for myself. See, I don't even need to unpack that one any further, do I? Just take note of the word myself. You know, that's a great, that word stands as a testament to self. Or here's one. Uh, I, I've heard this one recently, again, from somebody in other churches, not at this church. And here's what they say. I did my time. Now it's time for someone younger to step up. Hear me. You do not get a pass from service because you served at some point in a younger life. That doesn't give you a pass in retirement. You are still called to serve. And so we need to call that what it is. That's a cop-out. It's just a cop-out. Listen, how is someone younger than you, how is someone in the next generation supposed to uh, know that they're serving if they can't look at your life and see it? How are, how are they supposed to know how to serve if you aren't modeling it for them? See? So we need to eradicate that phrase from the local church. Because here's the thing, one of the things we believe God has called us to as a church is to minister to families. And so when it comes to things like children's ministry and student ministry, man, if servants of Christ aren't constantly stepping up and into those ministries, we will never be able to fulfill our mission to minister to families as a, as a church. And then he presents the alternative to a life of selfish ambition or vain conceit, uh, the alternative to a life of selfishness. Rather, he says, or instead, in humility, value others above, your surf. He's saying, above yourself. He's saying, look, live a life of service. Live a life of serving others. And what's so beautiful about this is Paul reminds us that a life of servanthood springs up from something called humility. And, he, and then he describes to us exactly what humility looks like. And here's what he says. He says, uh, it looks like uh, a man or a woman that puts the interests of others above their own, 
And it looks like a man or woman that's willing to stoop to elevate someone else. They're not thinking of elevating themselves. They're thinking of elevating someone else. So that when we serve right, we're living out that command to value others above yourself. Now listen, one of the things I need you to know, we do not ask you to, well, actually sometimes we do. We do sometimes ask you to serve because we need your service. However, that is not the primary motivator. We don't ask you to serve simply because we need your service. We ask you to serve because as a follower of Christ, you need to serve to be formed into the image of Christ. And if you're not serving, you are not going to be formed into the image of Christ. You're not going to be growing as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. Because here's the thing, when you serve, it's in those moments that you are most acting like your Savior. Last night, you know, we had a women's Christmas dinner here at church. We had hundreds of women. It was beautiful gathering in community to celebrate the birth of Christ right here in this room. But what you may not know is that yesterday morning, about a dozen dudes and a couple of ladies showed up, pulled tables and chairs from the theater room, pulled them all in here, set everything up so that these ladies could then come in and set their tables. And then a couple of guys showed up to work tech and to serve on the team on the stage. And then after the women got blessed, right, uh, that many of that same group of a dozen guys came back in that night, started cleaning up after these women. And let me tell you, they were kind of pigs, if I'm being honest, okay? And so these guys are like cleaning up, and they're bussing tables back into the, and some ladies were helping with that too, you know, and they're bussing tables back and forth. Now, and even before, and listen, and it was beautiful. It was beautiful to watch because these guys weren't benefiting from this service. They were just saying, hey, Lord, if you can use me to bless these ladies, use me, use my life, use my hands. Use the fact that I can move some tables and chairs to bless somebody else. And friends, whenever people do that, that's just so beautiful. In fact, my wife, Jackie, who taught at that event, she developed the message on her way out the door. You know what she said to me? This is kind of a paraphrase, but pretty close to what she said. She said, you know what? I, it is so, I feel so much joy and so much privilege at being able to speak in a way that uh, would lift up uh, these, these women. It just, I just, I, my heart is so full tonight. You know, and that's servanthood, friends. That's the kinds of things serving does because there's always joy in service. And then look at verse 5. He goes on. In your relationships with one another. Now, relationships are central to the kingdom of God. Uh, so what, I'm, what I need you to hear is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you should excel at making and keeping and building relationships. It's a failure when we're not able to keep or build a relationship. Now listen, all of us fail in that. Like, like There are some relationships I would love to have back. There are some relationships that I've lost that I would love to have back, right? 
So I'm not saying you're going to do it perfectly, but we should be getting better. We should be growing in our ability uh, to, and in fact, and here's the reason, right? Look, if you're interested in somebody else's, um, you know, agenda and not just yours, you're probably going to keep that friendship, right? If you're always serving them and saying nice things to them and doing nice things for them, you're probably going to excel in your relationships. And then he says this, he says, I want you to have the same mindset or the same attitude that Jesus did. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. There's no other place in the Bible where you can get insight into the mind of Christ. Think about this. We know his actions. We know what he said. But we rarely know what he was thinking. And he's saying, look, I'm going to tell you what motivated Jesus to do everything he did and to say everything that he said. He said, he said this. He said, listen, have this mind of Christ. In other words, um, like, here's just a question. Like, what if Jesus had just come to pursue the American dream? I mean, where would you and I be in our relationship with God if Jesus had just come, you know, to pursue the American dream, get, get wealthy and popular or whatever, it, you know, your version of that looks like? I mean, we know where we'd be. We'd be dead in the water, right? Every single one of us. But that wasn't his mindset. He didn't want to use his title as God to benefit himself. He chose to use his title as God to benefit other people. And he tells us exactly what Jesus' mindset was, verses 7 and 8. Rather, he made himself nothing. That word nothing is a real important phrase, so I want you to circle that by taking the very nature of a servant. So this is astounding. He says, even though he had God's nature, he took on the nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself even more by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, that phrase, uh, become, made himself nothing and taking on human uh, form, being found in appearance as a man, um, there's a theological word for that. It's called the incarnation, God taking on flesh, God becoming a man. And the word is carne, incarnation, carne. All right. How many men in here like a good bowl of chili? Right? Now, when you look at a, a can of chili, there are two kinds of chili that you can buy, right? There's chili, and then there's chili con carne. And any self-respecting man, when he looks at those two cans, he's not going to pick chili. He's going to put that back on the shelf every time. A real man, right, is going to pick chili con carne. Because what does that mean? Chili with what? Chili with meat. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Chili with meat. Got to love it. It's praiseworthy, right? Here's what he's saying. That, look, Jesus is God with meat. Jesus con carne. He is God with meat. Notice too that Paul says that in becoming a man, even though he was by nature God, he 
took on the nature of a servant. He set aside his nature as God to take on the nature of a servant. And here's what that means. That means that the creator becomes the created. It means that seated on a throne chooses to be born in a barn. It means that surrounded by worshiping angels chooses instead to be mocked by a crowd. It means that the author of life embraces death. See, and, and, and it's so important to understand this. When it says that Jesus took on the nature of a servant, he didn't do that to just simply set an example for you and I. He didn't do it because he thought it was the right thing to do. He did it because that's who God is. He served because it is in God's nature to serve. He served not to show you and I a good example, but to show us what God looks like, how God acts, see? And then we're told this, he humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. A couple things you need to know. First of all, only criminals were executed on a cross. If you were a Roman citizen, that was beneath you. Jesus died in the most demeaning of ways. He died in the most painful of ways. That's how far he humbled himself. So, and then look what happened as a result of that in verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. So now, I mean, one minute we're talking, right, about humble incarnation, and the next minute we're talking about glorious exaltation. I mean, in other words, we're used to approaching Jesus at Christmas time. Oh, isn't he cute, the little baby in the manger? Guess what? The manger's empty. Jesus isn't there. He's been exalted. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He, his name is the highest name in the universe because he's been exalted, you see. He came to serve, and through his service, he was given glory. This is a beautiful thing. That, that, what it means that he's exalted, it means there is nothing and there is no one in the universe who is higher than our Jesus. So if you're here today and, and you, know, you would say, well, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure who God is or even if I think there is a God. Well, let me introduce you to him. His name is Jesus. He sits on the highest throne. He has been exalted. And here's what that means. That means that my name does not matter that much. Your name probably doesn't matter that much. This church's name, the name Shelbyville Community Church, doesn't matter that much. But the name of Jesus, that matters. And it matters a lot. It's everything. Because, again, he has been exalted. And then just one more verse. This verse is kind of describing who God made you and I because he humbled himself to death on a cross because he gave his life as a ransom for many, for you and for me. So it's, so it's kind of talking about what that's done uh, for us as a group. And it's found in First Peter. Here's, here's the last verse we're going to look at. But you, 
because of what Jesus has done for you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful life. So a few things we learn. First, if you're a follower of Jesus, God has chosen you. You have been chosen by God. You are a chosen people. And then secondly, you are a priest before God. That means your place as a priest is to serve him. You are to stand as a servant between God and other people. That's what a priest does. He brings together uh, God and people. And even better than that, you have been given a righteous standing by God. Notice it says you're a holy nation. God has made you holy. Uh, Well, here's what that means. That means that you are qualified and you are able to serve God. Because here's what I know about almost everybody in the room. Most of you, if you haven't served, the reason you've never taken on a ministry or taken on a service is because you don't feel qualified. You don't feel capable. And you're kind of waiting until you're further along before you start. But guess what? I mean, Daniel talked about this earlier this morning. God needs to stretch you and he needs to grow you. And one of the ways he wants to do that is through service. See, listen, if you wait to begin serving until you feel qualified, you are never going to do it. Instead, you need to lean into this verse and go, no, no, no. God has already qualified me. God has already called me capable. He's already called me holy. So I'm going to step into that ministry. And then finally it says that you're God's very own possession Another way you could say that is you're a tool in the hand of your master. He wants to use you to bless other people. See, you are an instrument, a tool in God's hands. You belong to him to glorify his name every single day. Now listen, for a long time around here, we had a saying. We used to say this. We would say, well... Every member is a minister. Like, so if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, every one of us should have a ministry. Every one of us should be everyday servants. It's not optional, folks. And uh, I was a little bit, you know, taken aback a while back because I had a staff member look at me and go, well, man, you know, since I've been here, I've never heard that phrase. Every member is a minister. And I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, I got to punch the gas on that one again. Like, we got we to be saying that regularly. Every member is a minister. Uh, you are called to minister by Christ. You are made capable by Christ. You are equipped by Christ. And you just have to lean into Him. And here's what I want you to know for followers of Jesus, serving is not optional. You serve at the pleasure of your Savior. So in the early 2000s, how many of you watched a series called West Wing? Yeah, a few of us. So interesting thing about West Wing, it ran for six or seven seasons. And throughout the seasons, all the various characters, there was kind of a mantra that they would speak over and over and over again in this series. And the mantra was this, 
I serve at the pleasure of the president. I serve at the pleasure of the president. Well, as followers of Jesus, you serve to the pleasure of your master. You serve to the pleasure of your Savior. So let me pray that for you. Heavenly Father, again, I did my best. Would you, you, by your Holy Spirit, would you convict and draw and stir and minister and equip and all the things that your Spirit does when he's in our midst. And so we just thank you for the ministry of that spirit. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we might respond uh, to that spirit and that every one of us in the room would leave with a greater desire to serve at the pleasure of our Savior. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.